It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is The World in 10 on Sunday, the 25th of December, Christmas Day. I'm Eleanor Shearwood, and as it's Christmas, we thought we'd do something a little bit different today. With the help of the Times of London's correspondents from around the world, we're going to look back on some of the most significant stories we've covered and hear how they've developed since. Whilst the death of Queen Elizabeth dominated the news in September, our review takes in the whole of 2022. As such, we'll reflect on Russia's invasion of Ukraine. When the Russians launched their initial invasion, the logical explanation is that they were trying to simply take over the whole country, decapitate the leadership, get rid of President Zelensky. And we'll review a year of environmental extremes. You've got everything from houses sitting on top of houses and boats sitting on top of houses and buildings that were swept off their foundations and literally went floating down the street. The Times of London. We begin our recap with the biggest story of the year. On the 24th of February, Russia invaded Ukraine. In the 10 months since, hundreds of civilians and soldiers have died. Cities have been left in disrepair and international relations have soured. I spoke to Richard Spencer, who spent much of this year in Ukraine, reporting for the Times of London. I began by asking him how much has changed since February and how much hasn't. When I first arrived in um, Kiev, just after the war started, uh, you really got the sense of a ghost town. Many of the women and children had left. Um, It really looked like a long and very grim haul for the whole country. Then after that initial, essentially, defeat of the Russians, when the Russians were forced to pull back from the outskirts of Kiev and Kharkiv, uh, then you've got a totally divided country where if you were to, to walk around a street in, say, you know, Odessa or Lviv, at, at first notice, you wouldn't think there was anything wrong, that you were in the middle of a normal working day in a city with cafes open and people going to work. But of course, that is misleading because you have a, you have this very grinding trench warfare on the southern and eastern fronts. And then, of course, more latterly, you have this, you, you know, assault of the missiles on key infrastructure, particularly the electricity infrastructure, so that at night so many of the lights are off. What you said just then about how sometimes in Ukraine it feels almost normal, even though there's a war on, was really interesting. Is there something you could tell us about your time there that you think people on the outside might not understand? You know, I'm normally a Middle East correspondent, so I'm used to covering conflicts in in this region, you know, where you are in the middle of a civil war, where there is instability on every street corner. 
I think people don't understand that the war in Ukraine is very different from that. You know, it's a it's a kind of much more old fashioned war where you have front lines with two sides pummeling each other with artillery. So the best the best, uh, the best comparison is those novels you read about World War Two Britain, where people are you know having cocktails and dinner at the Savoy Grill in London. You know, there's it's it's not that things are normal. And indeed, there is a sense of you know, live for today because tomorrow we may die. But uh, there's a party scene in Kiev, even though there's a war on. And that's something that's really almost impossible for us to imagine here, talking to you from a studio. I have one final question for you. Um, this is a special edition of The World in 10 for Christmas Day. What do you think the mood will be like in Ukrainian homes this year? Many families have sons and husbands um, and fathers and uncles who are on, on the front line who will still there being attacked by Russian artillery um, on, on Christmas Day. So I imagine there will be some sense of Christmas celebration, but also um, very different from normal and quite grim in some senses. The Times of London. It's impossible to look back on this year without thinking about the environment. Europe faced sweltering temperatures with wildfires throughout the summer. One of the country's worst affected was France, where the scale of fires reached a record level. Adam Sage is the Times of London's Paris correspondent. This was the year that global warming really hit home as a reality for many French people. There were 291 forest fires in all and 66,000 hectares burnt, which compares to an annual average of less than 10,000 hectares in recent decades. The biggest, the most intense fires were in the pine forests of the Gironde near Bordeaux in the southwest, forcing the evacuation of almost 40,000 people from houses and campsites in July and a further 10,000 in August. But there were always also forest fires in regions that had barely ever seen them before, such as Brittany and Normandy in the north, as the high temperatures turn land tinder dry across the country. In Spain, more than 300,000 hectares of land were burned by forest fires. That's the highest figure since 2009. It came at a cost of nearly 700 million euros to Spanish agriculture. Graham Keeley's a journalist based there and told me it was a scary summer. In August, I was in Valencia on a story about forest fires when the temperature was 35 degrees and experts said there would be a, another fire very soon. Of course there was, and it even reached a train track filled with people. This was a, another example of a summer we've had where long drought, high temperatures have meant that there's been a higher risk of forest fires across Spain. But it wasn't just Europe that felt the effects of climate change. Pakistan did too. The country was devastated by floods which killed more than 1,700 people and left millions homeless. And Australia faced what's been called the Great Deluge. Its east was hit by record-breaking rain and floods. The Times of London's Australia correspondent Bernard Lagan told me people there are still feeling the impact. All Australians are bearing these costs with insurance premiums and food prices on the rise. Insurance premiums are so high that many people can no longer afford flood insurance in the more flood-prone regions. Billions of dollars are being spent by the Queensland Government to relocate flood-prone communities to higher ground. There is also pressure in the most popular state, New South Wales, for the same thing to happen. The floods have impacted food supplies, causing shortages, as farmland lies inundated 
and rivers in close inshore coastal waters suffer the effects of flood runoff, harming oysters and other marine life. The humble little flathead fish, which a few years ago Sydney siders were buying for, say, 6 or $7 a kilo, is now up to $14 a kilo because the demand is there, but not the fish. King prawns have already gone up to $50 plus a kilo. Elsewhere, Hurricane Ian struck western Cuba and some states in southeast America. It was the fifth strongest hurricane to make landfall in the US. The Times of London's correspondent there, Jackie Goddard, spoke to us at the time. You've got everything from houses sitting on top of houses and boats sitting on top of houses and buildings that were swept off their foundations and literally went floating down the street. I spoke to a couple in Naples who were clearing up their house and people are left with a, with a horrendous mess and, and pretty traumatic memories. The Times of London. This year, showbiz events truly made a post-pandemic comeback. And whilst a lot of attention was paid to the glorious ball gowns and star-studded red carpets, one award ceremony moment really stood out. Yes, I'm talking about that Will Smith slap. In case you missed it, the actor got up on stage at the Oscars and slapped Chris Rock in the face after the comedian made a joke about his wife. I asked Kieran Southern, the Times West Coast correspondent, why this slap had such an impact. I think it was shocking for a number of reasons and probably foremost that it was live. We all saw it happen. It happened at the Oscars, you know, the, the, the marquee event in the Hollywood calendar. This was quite literally history made before our very eyes. You know, we're used to seeing celebrities on screen. We're very, very rarely do we see these A-listers involved in something as, as, as crazy as, as the Oscars slap. Well, it's definitely not something I've been able to forget either. We haven't actually seen that much of Will Smith since. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's safe to say the majority believe this was a, an indefensible act of violence that has no place in civilised society. I think it's also fair to mention that Smith himself accepted that this was unacceptable and has apologised multiple times to Rock. In sport, two legends stepped down this year. Stuart Fraser's tennis correspondent for the Times of London. Tennis had prepared itself for, for many years for the retirement of Serena Williams and, and Roger Federer and, and as best as it could because it was inevitable that, that one day it had to happen. And this year, uh, within the space of about a month, came the retirement of both. Serena Williams bowed out the US Open, a run to the third round that was enthralling, performed way above what I expected considering her lack of tennis and thrilled the New York crowd. And I think it was a fitting way to bow out, although she uh, obviously fell short in the third round. The retirement of Federer was very interesting because the actual match wasn't that exciting. Federer, with his uh, knee problems, struggled to actually get through it, and it was only doubles, remember. But the occasion afterwards was, was so emotional. At half 12 in the morning, we had Rafa Nadal in tears, Ellie Goulding performing, all held at the O2 Arena in London. And that certainly was an occasion to remember. Tennis will miss both for sure, but the sport always has to move on. That's been today's episode of The World in 10. We'll be back tomorrow and every day until the new year when we'll bring you another special episode, this time looking ahead to some of the key news events we can expect in 2023. In the meantime, if you celebrate, have a very happy Christmas. This podcast from The Times is brought to you in partnership with Google Podcasts.